Last week, we gathered as a family, and we heard Jesus say these words about his coming murder. His fully informed prayer, it's actually what Nikki referred to and why she sang that word, that, that song about glory. John said these, uh, recorded these words of Jesus, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. The question we always wrestle with is, how can this be true? How can this day be good and a day of glory? Glory in the Bible means the presence of God, pure, holy, radiant, untouchable, pure light. Glory here on this day, on a day of injustice, on a day where violence and shame and humility, on a day of bloodlust, on a day where everything that is wrong with our world actually happened, a day that is repugnant, a day that is abhorrent, a day that brings puzzlement at best and fear and, wor- fear and death at worst. The chronology of Good Friday, if you've read the scriptures, is nothing more than a process of abandonment. No one has ever experienced this since. From friends to the leaders that supposedly knew God to the Jewish nation to the Roman world, actually the whole human race hears the words in some way or another, behold the man, and what is our response? Crucify him. There is no glory here. There is no light here. There is no color here breaking into the pitch black darkness of our experience unless, unless you've actually read the story. Unless you know who Jesus is, unless this is not a mistake, and this is not manipulation, and this is not malpractice, but this actually is a plan from heaven, a plan that brings light and brings color and brings glory into our existence. Let me remind you what Jesus said about himself and what others said about him. John, in the very first chapter, said these words, Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. And he was coming into the world, and he was in the world. And though the world was made through Jesus, the world did not recognize him. He came to those that were even his own, and they did not receive him. Later, as he was doing ministry, he came to his closest friends and his most ardent critics and huge crowds just like this. And he declared this about himself. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, we claim, is the light of the world. Do you remember your grade six science class? Probably most of you don't. But what we learned is that pure white light is all the colors mixed together. Every single color is found in light. When you send pure white light through a prism, all the colors burst forth. Green, blue, indigo, red, orange, violet. They explode into the darkness. See, Jesus is the light of the world. And the cross from heaven's view, the real view, the only view that matters, truly acts like a prism. And as Jesus, the light of the world, is broken on that cross, on that prism, glory and light, yes, even color invades our darkness and breaks open the black hole of sin and Satan, and even color spills over death. See, the cross and the color of the cross It's like when you're sitting in a dark room and someone lights a match. Instinctively, you need to look. It's like just between winter and spring, when everything seems dead and there's slush everywhere and maybe white snow or yellow, depending where you live. And as you're walking by it, suddenly you see that first little crocus. 
Break through that snow or that slush, and that brilliant little purple appears. You instantly are drawn to its color. The cross is a declaration in a dark world. There still is glory and light and color left. See, when you know and you believe that Jesus is really who he claimed to be, that each breath and each word and each deed on that cross, Jesus, the Son of God, is bringing glory and light and beauty and color into the worst, the most painful, the most wicked of days. And that is why we, as Christians, call this day Good Friday. Joanna's read out of John 19. It's been a terrible 12 hours. Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane, then the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, one of his closest friends. Jesus is arrested. The rest of his friends take off on him. Peter ends up not only denying him three times, but actually curses and blasphemes his name. There's the informal and formal trials and then the death sentence. Our story in John in 19 starts with a man named Pilate. Many of us know his name, but we don't know his background. He's the Roman governor. He's the man in charge. He's actually a native of Spain. He grew up in the famous city of Seville. He's a famous soldier. He earned his military prowess up fighting the Germans. And after those years of fighting in the north, he did something brilliant. He marries the daughter of the emperor Augustus himself. Remember, Augustus is the one who claims to be the Prince of Peace and the Son of God, and so this is a man of power, of wealth, of connection. He is a killing machine, a politician. He is elite upon elite, and now Jesus is brought before him. As Pastor Joanna read in John 19.1, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they clothed him in purple robe, and they went up to him and again and again said, Oh, hail, hail, king of the Jews, and then they slapped him. This is called halfway death, by the way, this flogging, leather straps with metal weights and sheep bone, lashes tearing into skin and bone. The Romans actually chose to do it only four times, and then they would stop and mock you, and as the person would recover, they'd begin it again. This is dark. This is black. There is no light here. There is no glory. The only color we see so far is bone and blood and purple given in mockery. We wonder, could there be glory found here by this act that killed so many and most went insane by? Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no basis of charges against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here is the man. The King James used to put it, Behold the man. At this moment, we don't see it, but from heaven's view, this is nothing but brilliant color. Seen literally in the purple he is wearing, but figuratively so much more. See, behold the man. Pilate says, behold the poor, bruised, bleeding, broken man. Have you not had enough? Have you not seen him beaten up and hounded enough? Behold the man. Pilate may have not understood it. The crowd may have rejected it. But this actually is a grand declaration of truth. Behold Jesus Christ of Nazareth, your king. Behold divine love. Behold the light of the world. Behold the door. Behold the good shepherd. Behold the resurrection and the life. Behold the way, the truth, and the life. Behold the true vine, the bread of life. Behold glory. Behold pure light. Yield to him, for he is Lord. Color. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted in response, Crucify! uh, Crucify him! 
Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis at all, any charge against him. But the Jewish leaders insisted, we have God's law, and according to God's law, he must die. Why? Because he has claimed something. He has claimed to be the Son of God. The Son of God, modern ears may not understand it. It means he claims equality. He is claiming to be God. These religious leaders, these men of God, so blinded by their hatred, miss the very God they supposedly know, worship, and represent. They're so blinded by their anger at Jesus, they miss the Messiah who actually has come for them. When Pilate heard this, he became afraid. Notice that. And he went back into the palace and he said, well, where do you come from? He asked Jesus, and Jesus would give him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize that I have the power either to set you free or crucify you? And then Jesus does it. Jesus answers Pilate, uh, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who has handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. There it is again. We don't see it down here, but from heaven, it's the second burst of profound color. See, it's expressed in this thing called sovereignty. Jesus is the only free man in this room at that moment. Power and control is residing in Jesus, not in Pilate, not in some mob or crowd, not in some religious leader's understanding, and definitely not with the devil. See, Jesus already proclaimed this in John 10. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Color. Suddenly, we're thrown back to earth, though, back to pitch black. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. Back to black back to the sinful, political, religious, manipulative reality where Jerusalem and Rome are meeting together to deal with Jesus. The leadership are brilliant. They use Pilate's greatest fear against him, his father-in-law. If you do this, we're going to tell your father-in-law, and we know how your father-in-law thinks because Caesar Augustus even got rid and murdered his own family or excommunicated them if they did not do and represent his power. They said, see, Pilate, if you let this man claim to be a king, your father-in-law, who has more power even than you, is going to come for you. And what is he even going to do to his wife, his daughter? Pilate heard this, and he brought Jesus out. He sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement. It was the day of preparation of Passover for the Jews. It was noon. There it is again. Did you catch it? From heaven's view, color begins to break out again. It's such strong light. See, this is the day of preparation, and it's noon. And you say, well, John, John, what does that mean? Let me tell you, at that moment, at noon, in the temple, just near where this is taking place, all the priests begin to sacrifice all the little Passover lambs to remember the exodus, what God had done, where they took little lambs, and as they had slain them, they placed the blood over the Jewish doorposts. And as the angel of death came, it had to what? Pass over because God had said, these are my people. At the very moment where he is about to be judged, at this very moment, the Passover lambs are about to be slain. And what did John the Baptist say? Look about Jesus, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Color. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. And they shouted, take him away. 
take him away and crucify him. Modern execution is done in private. It's meant to be swift. In ancient times, it was done publicly. It was meant actually to elongate pain. It was meant to produce sort of a macabre carnival. It was almost like a violent public service announcement, so no one else would do this. The Persians tried perfecting crucifixion because they didn't think the tortures they had went far enough, but the Romans, they perfected this. Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. This is shocking. If you've ever had the chance to read the Bible, this shows the level of hatred and blindness. They actually say their only king is is Caesar, not God. The representatives of God actually violate commandment one and two. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And there they crucified Jesus, and with him two others, one on each side, and, and, and Jesus is now in the middle. There it is again. This acts like a rainbow cutting through a post-stormy sky. There is color, such strong color here, and you say, well, John, where is the color? He's now at his worst point. No, see, it's where they place him that begins to reveal the heart of God and the glory of God and the light of God. See, as one said, this was supposed to shame Jesus. They put him between two convicted criminals and they wanted him in the middle because this was saying he was the worst of the lot. And yet what does Jesus do while he's dying between two convicted criminals? He brings the strongest light and glory and color that our hearts so desire. He offers forgiveness. One of the thieves turns to Jesus in another account and says, would you remember me? When you come into your kingdom and Jesus, while he is dying after he's been beaten so terribly, answers, truly, I tell you, without, this is it, this I tell you, today, you, you the robber, you who deserve to be on the cross, you're going to be with me in paradise. That is light. That is color. That is glory. A second chance. Eternal life is given on the fringes of death. This is pure light hitting the most epic prism, producing the most blinding color of hope. Why? Because the human heart desires to be free. Pilate had a notice prepared, fastened it to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And as Joanna read, many of the Jews read the sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, the trade languages of the, of the day. And the chief priests of the Jews protested to, to Pilate, don't write this, king of the Jews, but claim, say that he claimed to be this. But Pilate answered, I have written what I have written. There it is again. There is more profound growing color. Even at this moment, the full revelation of Jesus is being given in all languages to those who are walking by. Jesus is King, and He is Lord, and this is who He always was and always will be. And we can say, Amen. Near the cross, as He slays dying, Jesus on the cross, there He stood His mother. His mother's sister was there, Mary. The wife of Cleopas, Mary Magdalene was there. When Jesus saw his mom there, the disciple also who he loved, John, was standing nearby. He said to his mom, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, he said, here is your mother. And from that time forward, this disciple took her home. Can you imagine the pain of mom? The pain of friends. 
looking upon such misery. I mean, this, this, is, this is Jesus' mom. As he lays on, on this cross, as he comes near the fringes of death, Jesus, even at this moment, profoundly, profoundly brings light to a dark world. It's like color pours out of Jesus. See, Jesus is so much in control because he is God. He even has the ability to give kind and tender and loving instructions to John to take care of his mom. Never underestimate the relationship between Mary and Jesus. Though he is God, he got her, his humanity from her. His skin color, his eye color. She's the one who helped him to walk. He's, she's the one who potty trained God in flesh. She's the one who helped him with his first words and held him after nightmares. And he's dying so publicly, so brutally. And Jesus gives color in such pitch black night because he even takes care of his mom. Mary is such a brilliant image of us even as the church. As Jesus dies for the world and those that would come to him, he tenderly oversees and cares for us because his desire is that he roots out the deepest pain in the human heart, that we would not be alone anymore, that we would be taken care of. Later, knowing that everything had been finished so the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus cried out, I am thirsty. The cry seems defeatist. No glory or color here. Yet at this moment, actually, we see even stronger color. Because it's not that he's just physically thirsty, though he is. This takes us quickly back to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus wrestled with God the Father. And he said, oh God, my dad, he actually calls him daddy. He said, I know, I know that you have the power to take this ready cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. See, this act physically on the cross is mirroring what Jesus had prayed about. See, in the Old Testament, the cup was not a rejoicing thing or a refreshing thing. It was the wrath of God being poured out on enemies. And Jesus is physically, even at this moment, declaring that he is going to take the just wrath of God on himself, not because he sinned, but because he loved us so much, he took our sin. God provides a substitute, and the substitute is God himself. Jesus Christ does not cancel the wrath. He absorbs the wrath, and it diverts it from all of us sitting here today and online to himself. As one wrote, let us never trifle with God or trivialize his love. We will never stand in awe on Good Friday or Easter or any time of the year. The love of God for us until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us. Jesus takes that full cup. Our thirsty God takes our place and color bursts forth in our winter and like light begins to break our shared darkness. As a jar of wine vinegar was there, they spoke, stoke a sponge in it, and they put it on a stalk of a hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. There. Do you see it again? Such profound, sovereign, beautiful, glorious color. Why? It's the hyssop plant. 
You say, well, John, I don't know what that is. See, the hyssop plant was the actual plant the Jews used in Egypt actually to dip the blood to paint over the doorposts. Even this is declaring that Jesus is not defeated at all. See, the glory of the cross, the work of Jesus, as darkness seems at its full height, is not overcoming him. Jesus is completely in control. Light is everywhere if you're looking for it. Color is on the cross, around the cross, spilling over all the people if they want it. When Jesus had received that drink, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he died and he gave up his spirit. You'll never see the light and the beauty and the color of the cross if you do not really understand what's happening. It is finished is not, well, that's over. It is finished is not, well, that didn't work. Everything I worked for failed. No, no. This is not blackness, and this is not the absence of color. This is light now at its strongest, at its purest, at its most overwhelming. When Jesus declared 2,000 years ago, it is finished. This is the grandest burst of glory, the grandest burst of light. Here, the greatest amount of color so far spills out. The strongest pure white light hits the prism and fills the whole unseen universe with the glory of God. Jesus yells out, it is finished. It is paid in full. It is consummated. It is fulfilled. All things will be brought into perfection. Or as Run wrote, it is finished, but it is not over. Jesus' work settles, decides, completes. It cannot be contested. There is nothing now to fully fear because the worst has happened in the human experience. The pitch black night has not swallowed up the glory of God. The light of the world has broken the darkness and on that day of injustice and on that day of true crime and on that day of violence and on that day of torture and on that day where Satan thought he won and on that day where war seems stronger than peace, on that day where religion seemed stronger and gave the, the appearance that we could never have relationship between creator and created. On that Friday, it is called good because it bursts forth with color because Jesus said, it is finished. Oh
And so, at this moment, we are going to respond as we should through the act of communion. Jesus, just before he died, took a piece of bread and ripped it and said to his friends, this will be my body broken. He took a chalice of wine at the Passover feast and said, my blood will be spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We join the global church at this moment, celebrating Jesus' death today and his resurrection on Sunday. Communion is only a symbol of what has happened, but it is significant. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are most welcome to any of these tables. If you've said that Jesus is your Savior and your leader and your Lord, you're not just Christian ethnically or culturally, but you have a personal relationship, you are welcome to these tables because you know the one they represent. For others of you, uh, you say, well, can I come? I'm a Christian. I'm deeply struggling. Yes, the cross is all about Jesus bringing color into our brokenness and our struggles. The scripture says, though, that if you've not yet met Jesus, not to take this because you've not said yes to the one that it represents. And it also says if you are a Christian and though you are loved and known by God, but you refuse to deal with him and you're on the run, he says don't take it until, you, until you're willing to come back. But could I implore you that this would be a great day for you to come back or meet him for the first time. And so we have tables marked by candles. And you can come and self-serve. Just take a piece of cracker and you can just dip it and thank Jesus for his death and his resurrection. And also because this is a worship service for us, this is where we'll take up offering too. That if you've brought offering to give generously to God, then there are buckets at each table and you can give them there. And if you choose not to take communion and you want to give, you can give them out at our desks. So let me just pray over this as we prepare to respond. Jesus, we are just deeply, honestly thankful that you are not just myth, that you are just not a cultural invention, but this is rooted in history, that Jesus, you did die, and that you are the light of the world, and that you did, of course, rise from the dead, and there is forgiveness in your name, and salvation in your name, and eternal life in your name. And so, Lord, forgive us of our sins, things we've done against ourselves and others and you, and as we meet you here at these tables, we just want to say thank you. So, Lord, bless these elements. Bless this space. Come close to us, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're welcome to come as you would like.